Hello, podcast listeners. Pete Forsey, the podcast, back for another one. I tell you, we are just days away from October, and this must be what old feels like, 29, soon to be 30. The years just must speed up each and every time because we're about to enter Q3 here in the business world, and it feels like I closed my eyes just a bit ago and it was 2022 and we were wrapping up that year. Major League Baseball regular season is wrapping up. NFL playoffs or NFL season rather in full swing almost a quarter of the way through that season. And Colin Kaepernick is back in the media. The Jets quarterback room is a disaster. Their head coach saying things that he shouldn't. The defense is pissed off. The Dolphins are winning games. It's like 1994 all over again. Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor Swift, and Adam Wainwright has 200 wins. So we got a lot to talk about. Thanks so much for choosing the show. It is episode 122 of the podcast. So the New York Jets are in a, not in a New York state of mind, that's for sure. They are in a just completely dejected, totally downtrodden mindset. I'm hearing... I guess I'm seeing rather reports that the defense has some strife with Robert Sala and it's a hundred percent on him and Joe Douglas. They obviously were pivoting off Zach Wilson by getting Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't just a rare opportunity to upgrade. They knew they needed to replace Zach Wilson with just about anybody. So they kept him on the roster in 2023. I think there was probably so much hype around the fact that Aaron Rodgers was their quarterback and rightfully so that we kind of just ignored the fact that Wilson was still on the team in actuality if you were talking about this scenario or any sort of scenario where Rodgers would be out and not be able to play uh, maybe even just like a lesser injury no one really even brought up the fact that Wilson probably shouldn't even be on this team he's been that bad This is one of those rare times in the draft. You just don't see it all that much anymore. He's a bust. He's been awful. The guy arguably shouldn't be in the league. He he cannot complete any passes. It's not an offensive line thing. It's not a talent at receiver. It's a IQ. It's a skill thing. He's bad. So Robert Sala rightfully so, is starting to lose the team. He has one half of football. The New York Jets play the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night football. He has two quarters of football to prove to his team that he has a rational mind because he cannot continue playing Zach Wilson. Otherwise, he's going to lose the locker room, and that is a big red X on his back from the owner's booth. The owner has has to fire you if you lose the team. Tony Romo said it in his first year in the broadcast booth, and he obviously was alluding to his time with the Cowboys in 2016 when Dak Prescott was balling out in his rookie year. He said, oftentimes, the team, the players will tell you the direction you need to go. As much as the head coach may believe you need to go another way, and maybe the head coach is actually correct. If the players 
don't buy into what you're saying or buy into your position, it doesn't matter. You have to go the other way. You have to go a different direction. And the defense and the wide receivers, even though they're acting like divas on the sideline, and I know Rodgers went on McAfee yesterday and was talking about that, how they need to have more poise. I agree with them. But the players clearly see this guy ain't it. So that's where he's got about two quarters of football before Robert Sala, he, he could be in some, some dangerous territory if he doesn't really fess up to the reality of the situation reality of the situation, excuse me, a QB. Now, the Kaepernick letter, I really don't want to beat a dead horse because I've said it ad nauseum. There are legitimate football reasons why you should not sign Kaepernick. 2015, he was the guy with the Beats headphones sitting in the cafeteria at the 49ers facility. Coaches, teammates, they even said, yeah, I, I just don't know if this guy has it as far as being a QB in this league and being a starter. And then his play kind of bears that out. So when I see this letter, the only thing I really think of is that he hasn't played for six years. I saw the workout that he did, I think it was three years ago. He was thrown against air, no pressure, no pads, no helmet, nothing. It was like in the desert in Nevada or wherever. Didn't look that great. And... Nobody, everybody has had the opportunity over the last six years to work him out. The Raiders have been the only team. So why would anybody really take a chance on a guy, even on the practice squad, when he hasn't played football in six years? The practice squad is for your development. That's your minor league, so to speak. Everybody thinks it's it's a low-risk, high-reward situation. No. That that's your opportunity to actually develop players. Tony Romo came from the practice squad. Brock Purdy came from the practice squad. You're not going to give that spot to a guy that hasn't played in six years and obviously in New York will have every media outlet at his locker before every game after every practice. You think the Jets want that circus after they just lost their starting quarterback, Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers? God bless him, but when you just look at this at the surface, it makes no sense to entertain Colin Kaepernick. So no doubt, Miami Dolphins may be the most electric team in the NFL this season and in many seasons prior, too. The Chiefs have actually had some really good teams, but this team just seems so much more faster and dynamic uh, defenses just seem to be nowhere near their offensive players. And I mean that in a good way, that the, the schematics and the, the play action and action at the snap is just incredible. Mike McDaniel has done wonders for that offense. They got a legit coordinator now on defense and Vic Fangio. They are humming. So definitely thought that it could be a very trying start for Miami because I thought that offensive line, as I said in just a matter of weeks ago, I thought that offensive line was going to be a problem. Turns out they're pretty athletic and they really remind you of like a high school team that just has a really athletic offensive line, great skills players, and they're taking advantage of space. It really is basketball on grass in the NFL now. My only question with the squad, not necessarily if they can come back from behind in games because they got the firepower, 
but is really in the future here. Maybe they win a Super Bowl. Maybe they don't. I don't know. They're going to run into really good teams. Joe Burrow obviously is going to try and gut this out. The Bills have been humming for a few years. They are starving for more playoff success and getting over the hump to the big game, and the Chiefs are going to be the Chiefs. Maybe the Dolphins can conquer them. They're obviously really talented. But right now, second year under Mike McDaniel, Tua Tagovailoa still on his rookie contract. Very easy for a average quarterback to outwork his payday. Tua is making, what, $5 million bucks. It's not hard for a guy to play above his paycheck. It's going to be interesting when you have to retain a lot of key guys. They got Tyreek on the big contract. Waddle is not. Tua is not. Defensive players on the Miami Vic Fangio defense. Only big payday is Ramsey, who's not even playing yet. Are they going to be able to sign these guys and keep this roster together? I've seen a lot of these cats from the McVay-Shanahan tree. They've been able to have some success initially, but now is Mike McDaniel, is Zach Taylor, is Matt LaFleur, are they going to be able to continue this run of success once these quarterbacks get paid, once the quarterback leaves? That's what's really going to determine their success. I already know Miami's viability this year. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with. They're not going to be pushed over. They're going to continue to put points on the board. Are they going to lose some games? Yeah. They may even have a bad stretch overall. They may dump three or four in a month. But what I'm really concerned about now, is this going to be a guy that's actually a Shanahan, actually a McVay that sticks around for a while? We're going to see here in the next 18 months if Mike McDaniel's name is going to be on that list. You know, one thing on Sunday that just swarmed through, I was not anticipating it being this big as it actually was. People are talking about it today still. It was on the Today Show. It was on uh, NBC Nightly News. My mom texted me about it. And obviously you couldn't ignore it if you were watching the Bears and the Chiefs, this Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing that's going on. Is he dating her? Is he not dating her? I don't know. I don't really care. I got a little exhausted with it. I know a lot of people are into that, so it's fine. It was such an ugly game that I understand why they were really going overboard with it. But it did get me thinking, and something to keep an eye on. I'm not saying that this is Travis Kelsey's driving factor with this, but maybe most dynasties, most runs of success really end or break off when egos and acknowledgement isn't happening for some individual. You see it with Jordan and the Bulls. That was highlighted in the last dance. Seattle Seahawks, Richard Sherman, Legion of Boom. Didn't like that Russ was getting all the attention. Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson. Jerry Jones wanted some uh, acknowledgement that he contributed to those 90 Super Bowls. It goes across all sports. Patrick Mahomes is obviously the face of the Chiefs, as is Andy Reid. Brett Veach even gets a lot of attention because we're in the, the armchair GM. We have Twitter. We go back and look at transactions. General managers get a lot of, um, a lot of clout nowadays with what they do. Tyreek Hill obviously got his money. And he left and went to Miami. Chris Jones, 
They gave him a payday. And this summer, Travis Kelsey did tell us, yeah, those guys, Tyreek, he makes almost 300% more than what I do. And I've been saying it for years. People on X have called me an idiot that Travis Kelsey really is a wide receiver. He's not a tight end. He doesn't block. Hell, he never lines up there at all anymore. He should be making wide receiver money. He's one of the most dominant players with the ball in his hands. I've been dumbfounded. He doesn't ask for more money, but he likes his situation in Kansas City. He told us this summer. So I am wondering, all the Super Bowls, face of the franchise is obviously going to be Mahomes moving forward, as is the head coach. One guy took his money and left, seems to be really happy in Miami. They're winning a lot of games. Other guy, Chris Jones, held out. He got a raise. I wonder if Kelsey is wanting to be remembered a little bit more in this Kansas City dynasty. Obviously, the Chiefs and their fans, they're going to know who he is. But when you look back in 20, 30 years and the documentaries are going out, when your little nephew, who's five years old right now, who doesn't really get football, when he's looking back at all this and he... It wants to know what was this team. What is cool about this dynasty? Are they going to remember Travis Kelsey? Is he going to be one of the top names that comes to mind? They're going to say Patrick Mahomes. They'll say Andy Reid. They'll say Tyreek Hill because he's the cheetah. He's faster than anybody we've seen in helmet and pats. But when your name is fourth on that list, typically... That's when people start to forget exactly who you were and what you did. And I know a lot of people think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, Travis Kelsey, which I beg to differ. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame tight end because, again, I don't think he is a true tight end. So him being a Swifty and dating the the biggest rock star or pop star of our generation, is that a way to kind of build up his reputation a little bit? Something to think about. I uh, was watching Adam Wainwright get interviewed on Intentional Talk, which, you know, God bless MLB Network. That's probably one of the few professional sports league TV networks that actually has had success. NFL Network obviously is. They're making a bunch of cash. I personally just don't find their commentating, their shows, all that engaging. Baseball, it's so good, and maybe it just suits it better because it is a long year. It's a journey. Uh, there, There's more... Uh, character to it and, and more charisma. I don't know. I've always loved MLB Network, but that show, you got to get Chris Rose back on that show with Kevin Millar. That was the best show. And then what a contract dispute happened. I get it in the broadcast business. That happens all the time, every year. But you got to get the the main guy back because now the, the little trio thing that they're doing with Millar and and then sometimes it's just Steven Nelson who's doing Dodger games out there in L.A. Sportsnet. Let's get back to what made us successful here. But they were interviewing Wainwright, and they're in Milwaukee, and he's had his 200th win. He's not going to pitch again. Second best Cardinal pitcher ever behind Bob Gibson. No guy toes the rubber and brought it like he did every single time. Not that he was always good, because I thought there was a stretch in there. In 2017, he had to retire midseason. He came back, had a couple other good years, and proved me wrong. 
He had an outstanding career, though. He was always going to give you a major league quality effort. Unlike some pitchers where they have no idea where the ball is going, he was at least trying to pitch each time. And he gutted through some games. He obviously was elite at times. And then as well, he would gut through six innings where he gave up five runs, but he kept you in the game and he saved the bullpen for the rest of the series and the rest of the road trip. So Adam Wainwright was everything you want in a pitcher. And seeing the backdrop at Miller Park where I'm going this weekend, I'm going to see the Cubs and the Brewers play a couple of uh, competitive teams. It'd be great to see some high level baseball. It made me think how far the gap is between Milwaukee and St. Louis and pitching development. Milwaukee, who has a payroll of $50 million each year, roughly, they are able to churn out better arms, guys that get more strikeouts, throw higher velocity, and just overall pitch better. Maybe don't get as many innings as what a Cardinals guy gets. And they have a third of the budget. It's comical. It's embarrassing, really. This is the biggest offseason in the tenure of John Mazalock and as the owner of Bill DeWitt. They are going to have to shell out as far as cash. They're going to have to shell out as far as prospects to get this rotation and this pitching staff to respectability. So this lineup, one of the best that they've had since 2014, 2013, when David Freeze was still on the squad, this is the best lineup that they've had in years. And the one thing they used to hang their hat on, pitching development, they were the the, the class of the league at one point. Now they can't get one viable starter. We're not talking an ace. We're not talking a number one. We're just talking about someone that can be a consistent, reliable arm. Yet Milwaukee is going to make the playoffs for the fifth time in like seven years, third time they take in the division. It's a joke, the gap between Milwaukee and St. Louis from a pitching side of things. And we're going to see if DeWitt, Mazalock really ramp things up here come November. So after the Jets-Patriots game, you obviously expected Belichick to keep Zach Wilson in check and keep it a low-scoring game to where the Patriots didn't have to do much on offense and get a W in New Jersey, and that's exactly what they did. Now they go to Dallas, AT&T Stadium. Cowboys look into get a revenge game. Not a revenge game, but get back on track after, you know, laying over in Arizona and obviously center of attention, Dallas, Texas, Cowboys, Patriots. That's going to be a big game. And Mac Jones, again, in the crosshairs of, is he a dirty player? Did he sack tap Sauce Gardner? This is like the third or fourth thing. So his reputation definitely taking a hit amongst those outside his organization. Inside, sounds like players love him. They love playing with him. The coaching staff has had some issues with him. Obviously, there was the report by the Boston Globe that he went outside the organization last year instead of consulting with his you know, quarterback coach or uh, offensive coaching staff to improve. And it got me thinking, Belichick could be at his wit's end with this guy, especially now that he's got two interceptions in three games. Belichick hates turnovers absolutely despises them. Part of the reason 
he loved Brady beyond just the intangibles was that on the field, Brady protected the football. He threw a bunch of touchdowns, but he also has just statistically one of the best touchdown to interception ratios. Coaches, especially old school ones, they want to win with fundamentals. They want to win with technique and physicality and toughness. They think the game is better played that way because then it's simpler. You don't have to be as dynamic. You don't have to be as creative, you know, as creative with your stuff as far as play calling. So it made me think that Matt Jones is way safer than we think. As long as he can cut back on the turnovers, his first year, I think he threw 11. Last year, he threw like 13. This year, if he can keep that below double digits, even if he doesn't throw that many touchdowns, the New England system, Bill O'Brien, death by a million paper cuts, they're just going to go short game, short game, intermediate game, and methodically move the ball down the field. Mac Jones, as long as the players like him and he stays engaged, tries to learn, that's the type of guy that Belichick looks for. Think of all the great players. Bruschkis, Vrabels, McCordys. They haven't had the most talent. They've just been smart, tough, fundamental football players. You look at Ezekiel Elliott. That's who he brought in. Those are the types of guys that he likes. So, I look at Mac Jones, is he that great? No, but I'm not going to write him off in New England just because that's not the type of thing Belichick does. He likes guys that are going to be more uh, more IQ than they are substance sometimes. Those are the guys he likes to coach. He's at a point in his career, he told Urban Meyer this, at this point, I just want to coach guys that I like. So maybe he's not fully on board with Mac as a guy, But if he's starting to repair that and he cuts down on the turnovers, I don't see Mac Jones going anywhere in New England's eyes. We're just under a week away from the greatest time in the sports calendar. For me personally, I love when it gets a little chilly. I throw on the sweatshirt. Been wearing sweats for a couple weeks now. So the sweatpants and the hooded sweatshirts will now team up. I'll be throwing on playoff baseball from noon until midnight there will be too many games going on there will be football that's also going on almost too much to handle but just enough I love it October baseball October football you're in the full swing of things and we're going to see some low budget payroll teams in the playoffs Padres Mets Yankees Cardinals uh forgetting another one I think but a lot of guys that spent a lot of money this past year, are not going to be in the playoffs. Boston's another one who's always got a high payroll. Instead, we're going to see the Rays, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, who I correctly predicted, be in the playoffs. And it makes you think, come November, the Padres obviously shelled out a lot of dough. The Mets shelled out a lot of dough with Cohen. And the Yankees always have big contracts. They have like three or four guys making 25-plus million. Are we going to see a shift back to like, three or four years ago where people really stayed out of free agency in the big dollars. You remember Machado, you remember Harper, those guys were waiting and there was all this collusion talk. The owners are in bed. They're, they're staying away from signing those guys. I remember Adam Wainwright of all people 
was saying that they have some questions to answer. When really, maybe it's actually just smart and wise moves. You look at the playoff teams this year, Miami, they don't make any money. Tampa Bay, they don't make any money. Neither does Arizona. So it'll be interesting to see and we'll be interesting to see their playoff success if they can beat teams like the Diamondbacks or uh, the Phillies, excuse me, who are in the playoffs and the Dodgers and the Braves who, ironically, they have a bunch of stars that don't make that much money because they locked them up early on in their career. So really interesting to see the playoffs. MLB, you never know what you're going to get on any given series during October. I really like the Braves because I think they got a dynasty going, a second dynasty that's brewing. And obviously on the American League side of things, I can never count out the the Tampa Bay Rays. They they just always are so good, so well prepared during these games to play them tactfully. I I think that it could be a Rays Braves World Series. That's going to do it everyone. Thanks so much for choosing the podcast, please follow, subscribe, review. Give me five stars. Leave a review. Give me your thoughts, your feedback. Really appreciate it. Tell your friends, tell your family about our weekly podcast right here. They can Google my name, find me on Amazon, here on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Pete 4 c the podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time.